welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Diamond, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Maison Crivelli, Thibaut Crivelli. I've made no secret of the fact that fragrance is probably my favorite category to talk about, particularly from a storytelling perspective. So sitting down with Thibaut on his most recent trip to Australia just felt like such a treat for me. Thibaut talks about fragrance in a way that is unlike anything I've ever heard before. And that is, again, why I'm so fascinated by this category. I love asking people how they either construct a fragrance or how they brief it into a perfumer. And the answer that Thibaut gave me went so far beyond anything I could have imagined in that he doesn't actually just focus on the scent. His role feels almost more like a director putting together an entire scene. It was a joy to listen to that process. We also had a really interesting chat about how nuanced the wider conversation around the use of raw materials needs to be, which I think is actually true of the need for nuance when we talk about sustainability in general, not just in perfumery. Early on, Thibaut told me that since childhood, he's wanted to create a cosmetic brand. And the longer we spoke for, the less surprising that was to me that he had had such a clear vision from so early on in his life. Because when you listen to him, it becomes very clear that he's a founder who is in this industry because of a deep, deep love for it, which is always my favourite kind of guest. In this conversation, Thibaut Crivelli shares why there's no room for ego in perfumery, how you can tell if a product will be popular within about two days of its launch, and the one emotion that every Maison Crivelli fragrance is linked to, the feeling of surprise. You were born in Paris. I know that you grew up sort of between Paris and Provence, but I would like to start right at the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of beauty? Oh, it's a very good question to start. <laughs> um, my earliest memory of beauty, uh, obviously when it comes to beauty products, would be perfumes, mostly perfumes, yeah. that my mother, my grandmother would wear. Um, more like very very deep and, and strong. I don't know if I can name the perfume, but... Um, go for yes, it. Yes, I go, go for it. Uh, so Shalimar from Guerlain ah, was, was like my, my childhood memory. Yeah. And then in general, I think it's a lot of nature, Yeah. which has always inspired me. But I was lucky to... So I was born in Paris, but I grew up in a, in a very uh, small village in the mm-hmm. middle of the countryside. And so I spent all my childhood... Um, all my weekends in my childhood in the nature... Yeah. Forests in fall, uh, spring in our garden, uh, summertime in the Provence region. So I'm, so I'm lucky envious. because <laughs> those landscapes are very, very different from, from the other. But I think it has taught me to appreciate somehow the, the beauty of the world. Mm-hmm. And we were very lucky in France. My parents were always telling me, oh, you know, French people always want to travel everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we love traveling. But yeah. we have so much in our country. Um, sometimes people don't take the time to discover it, but there's a lot of richness. Mm-hmm. And I think in my my early childhood memories were more about that, actually. Yeah. So those two kinds of beauty. 
So knowing that you had that really early affinity for nature and you've obviously got a really early first memory of fragrance, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to create a cosmetic brand. You're kidding. Yes. I, I, no, I'm not kidding. From childhood? <laughs> yes. That's I was, such a specific was, thing to want to do. I, yes, it's a project actually yeah. that I mentioned when I was a teenager. Wow. Um, several, uh, for several reasons. Um, I grew up in a cosmetic city, La roche Posay, okay. where my dad had a pharmacy and had created his own um, cosmetic brand. Wow. So I grew up looking at him doing his project, mm. building his brand, only done at a local level, but yeah. he had the passion for craftsmanship and for texture. Cool. Uh, and obviously with the idea to bring happiness to people. Mm. And so I think my childhood was a combination of that nature, uh, cosmetics, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, also quite an adventurous mindset, which we yeah. have in our family. Um, so the I'm also lucky, I mean, if, if it is one of, you know, the beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful heritage I get from mm. my family members, but my the the four or five generations who preceded me on each side of my family uh, lived in uh, very different countries. Five continents, mm -hmm. I read. You've given yes. me a really nice segue because I'd love to know about how being raised by, I guess, like a global family, so to speak, how do you think that impacted you? So my family has, well, my last name is Italian, but my family... Yeah has been in France for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So we do have a French education and a French taste and culture. Yeah. But my, so the, the generations who preceded me moved overseas um, in the middle of the 19th uh, century to mm -hmm. very different places, uh, to Vietnam, Lebanon, um, then Morocco, and also Australia. So um, it's, I think they, they still had a very strong French culture yeah. in a way, in a positive way, because also they were very far from their homeland. But at the same time, they had uh, such an attraction and a passion for the places where they lived yeah. that I think I just grew up, you know, listening to them, telling about their, their own childhood memories. Mm -hmm. And I think those talks triggered my curiosity, my imagination, and also gave me a certain sense of adventure and yeah. the taste for, I wouldn't say danger, well, <laughs> maybe actually, maybe a bit of danger, but at oh, least... I would say starting a brand yes. is one of the most dangerous things you can <laughs> do. Well, at least I I love being out outside of my comfort zone. Sure. I really enjoy that mm. um, on an everyday basis. I'm never sitting in a comfortable chair. I think mm -hmm. I've never been mm -hmm. and I will never be. Um, I hate to get bored. I get bored easily, so I'm always right. on the go. Um, but I think it's also somehow, yes, it's something which I inherited from my family members. Obvious, obviously, there's my own personality, but I'm very much influenced by all those uh, discussions I had with my parents and grandparents when I was young. And I think it's something which is, you know, everyone can understand that because mm. we, we all have the same perception. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, they've clearly sort of aided in that thirst for travel. I read that you moved to China in 2006 when you were about 22, spent 10 years there? Was 10 it years at the in ten Asia. Okay, was it at the 10-year mark that you thought, okay, I'm comfortable now, time to move on? Uh, so China actually has always been, I mean, I've always had a passion for Asia and yeah. for the Pacific region and also the Silk Road, thanks to those memories mm. of you know growing up, listening to my family members, but also to give, for example, I learned how to play mahjong before playing poker, 
um, at home we eat French dishes, but with some Moroccan spices or Asi yeah. Asian spices. So I've always been, my curiosity has always been triggered and I've always had the, I call it the Asia Pacific dream. Yeah. Um, and so naturally I started while well, learning Mandarin and then I decided to move to, to China, but as if it was in my blood, mm -hmm. I think China was calling me, Asia was calling me somehow. Yeah. And um, so I moved there, I absolutely loved it. Um, I took the Trans-Siberian back from China to Europe. It was a two month uh, travel, which was wow. fantastic. And then it just you know, made me realize that I, I should go back actually. Yeah. So I started my career in, in the perfume industry mm. back then. I had studied business with the objective to create my own brand one day, but obviously I needed uh, to build my competencies, build a network, um, work for the right brands before I would start my own project. Mm. And I did so in, in Asia, in Singapore for a year and a half, and then uh, in Hong Kong for seven years. Right. So I read some of those fragrance houses you were at, Givenchy, Christian Dior, Guerlain. I'd love to know if there were any lessons that you took from that time when your career so in many. fragrance was in its infancy that you're still applying to your work now. So we have in Maison Crivelli a very high level of authenticity mm. in terms of everything we're doing yeah. on the creative side. But on the business side, obviously creating such a complex project in a market which is saturated, it really required uh, me to to build those competencies. And I'm really lucky I did so for those big brands. Mm. So obviously those are more commercial brands, but it was a perfect path to learn about how to build a business, uh, build a brand, develop a, a portfolio collection of creations, um, work on the imagery, on training, PR tools. I mean, this is not something which can be invented. We, no. have, to, we have to learn it. Um, and the project cannot be developed without working on all of those aspects because it's it's a very easy thing. I mean, it's a very, how to say, it's a basic thing to say, but we just want everyone to understand clearly mm. our message. And when we speak to a different audience, we just have to ensure that what we say is, yeah, is yeah. clearly delivered. And so I had to build my knowledge uh, over the years. I was very lucky to work in Asia back then because the markets were very dynamic. Mm -hmm. And uh, at some point, I felt I was ready. Uh, yeah. My partner, who was based in uh, in China, moved to Turkey. I had to relocate back to Europe, and it was just an external kick yeah. that made me, you know, take take the risk. Sometimes the external kick is <laughs> absolutely it's necessary. I realized it's very necessary. Yeah. And I, after discussing with other entrepreneurs, I realized that yeah, I think it's something we have in common. There's always mm. this external kick which just makes you realize that now is the time and uh, you should not wait further. Yeah. I, you've raised a couple of interesting things there. I want to ask, this is probably such a broad question, but what is it about fragrance, about scent, that you felt so drawn to that you wanted to make it your career? It's one thing to feel an affinity for fragrance, but another entirely to say, okay, this is what I'm going to really make my life about. But I also wanted to ask, you mentioned earlier that when you were a child, you wanted to start a beauty brand. At what point did your focus shift from beauty quite broadly and move to fragrance specifically? It's a very good question. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I have the answer. Right. Um, <laughs> the, because I, I asked myself that same question. Mm. Um, I hesitated uh, between 
creating a perfume or a skincare brand. Right. Uh, I've, you know, I've makeup was not, I mean, I, I love makeup overall, but I'm not personally using makeup. Mm-hmm. And um, I would not, f- I did not feel legitimate to create yeah. a makeup brand. Um, putting aside also, the, I mean, the, 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 the operational complexity of makeup is... Yeah, oh, it's, it's another. another le- it's another level, to it's be the honest. Wild West. So many shades. Yes, it's very complex. Um, and I find skincare. I love skincare. I use a lot of skincare, um, but I find it very technical. Mm-hmm. And um, some brands do have legitimacy. There's a very strong expertise in terms of formula, active ingredients. But sometimes I find that it's a bit too marketed. Yeah. And perfume is much more personal emotional and I was much more legitimate to create a perfume brand for reasons that I will explain now mm. um, partly because of my background the way I discovered nature the way I discovered the perfume but also that education and that uh, maybe my personality as well but it's a combination of all those factors which made me realize that my knowledge of perfume is different is very complementary to the knowledge of perfumers and I lived adventures that would be worth uh, sharing with others. But this, it took me a few months actually to realize that until I met with perfumers and they told me, but Thibaut, it's a no-brainer. You must launch a perfume brand because what you've experienced, what you've lived in your life is when it comes to perfume ingredients, how you encountered with them, how you discovered them. This is so unique. Mm. You must create a brand out of this. So when it comes from experts, um, I think it was also this external, it's you know. very affirming. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's such a massive storytelling component to fragrance as well. I think that, yeah, it feels really natural. Some brands have concepts, yeah, creative ideas, which can be incredible. Mm. Um, but I really believe in the power of authenticity. Yeah. Um, which is the reason why I decided to take inspiration from uh, moments I had lived. Yeah. And those are moments which... Uh, are all uh, personal encounters with perfume ingredients. Mm. And I chose some of the best moments of my life when I lived surprise. Yeah. And I think it's something which is common to all of us when we live, uh, well, I would say our memories, our best, mm. our most striking personal memories are always moments when we were surprised. Yes. And when we stirred up all of our senses simultaneously. Think of, I don't know, a, a beautiful sunset, Mm-hmm. You, you personally lived, uh, if you visualize this, yeah. you will remember the people you were with, maybe the what you were wearing, the cocktail you were drinking, the yeah. colors around you, because this has left a mark. Yeah, I mean, but the cocktail might be a little foggy, but the rest w- of it, <laughs> clear as day. And um, yeah, so that's why, you know, this is the reason why I took those inspirations, because those are real stories. Mm. Uh, very surprised. There are a lot of sensory elements we can work with. Mm-hmm. And then the next challenge was to choose the right perfumers to work with because I'm not a perfumer myself. Yes. Okay, this this is fascinating to me. So what year was that external kick, so to speak? Um, so I launched the brand in November 2018 yeah. and I started working on the project in January 2017. Okay, that makes sense. Without any project in mind. Right. Okay, so how did you go about physically creating a brand how did you find the right perfumers how did you i want to talk separately about the packaging because i know there's a lot to it but how did you go from having this idea to actually making it happen 
So actually, it's a, it's a, a beautiful memory. I mean, beautiful memory. Back then, it was a bit of a stressful memory in a way because <laughs> I, I left my job. I quit. Yeah. I had no project in mind. I came back. I left Hong Kong. I moved. I came back to my hometown. Yeah. Parents' house. Oh, you know, I love that. Yeah. My I mean, advice to everyone is just milk that. But it's like moving backwards, you know, like, you know, mm. 10 years in time and, okay, back home. Okay, and then opening an, an, an empty, like, Excel spreadsheet yeah. and taking a, a white sheet of paper without anything pre-organized. Wow. So that moment, I must say, I sat down and I was like, okay, now you, let's make it happen. Yeah. But let's, it's scary. It's a bit scary. Uh, at the same time, I had the reassurance to get you know, support from my family, and obviously, if the project had failed, mm. I mean, I'm so happy now the brand is so successful. But if the project had failed, I would have found another position later. So, yeah. But I, I, um, I think I asked myself the right questions. Uh, this, yeah, this is maybe one of the key learnings I could share mm -hmm. with others. I would love that. I was pretty much aware of my skills. I also wrote down on paper the elements on which I could not work myself mm, yeah. and I needed help. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to also be, you know, to be aware of your, what yeah. you, you can do and I what mean, you cannot do by yourself. I mean, true any business, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, ask questions to people who will share relevant feedback and honest feedback. Yeah. And then it's about meeting the right people. Mm -hmm. People who share the same energy in terms of, you know, being happy to work with you, putting a personal commitment, even external partners like suppliers, yeah. anyone, like just to give this, um, bring this, yes, yeah, this energy, mm. this, to contribute like to yeah. the project. Otherwise, it's just a business deal. It's not meant to, to last. And uh, I think for that, I followed my intuition. But I asked myself the right questions and it was more about how can we today in such a saturated market surprise people with perfumes yeah. they have never smelled before? How can those stories be legitimate mm -hmm. how can i like myself how can i be legitimate into proposing something into such a saturated market and then it was about meeting the right people including perfumers connecting with them yeah. personally putting any ego aside because we really needed those two creative styles to to fit like to yes. match and and if you know i i meet I, I i'm meeting even today very famous perfumers they created some of the best sellers of mm. the whole perfume market. But if they, if they have an ego, in a way that we would never find like a meeting point and they would maybe, maybe they would also create in their way. Yeah, and that's I think something the, I the think about the often. The idea here is to challenge all the time what we're doing to create something new yeah. and surprising. So I'm also very happy when perfumers receive my brief and I see in their eyes this look like, oh, how can I do that? Because it means they also have a challenge on their side. This yeah. is beautiful. Let's, I, I mean, there's so much in there that I just want to pick at. I would love to hear while we're at this point on kind of what those briefs look like. I love talking to people in fragrance. I know that some people will brief with maybe a particular note that they want to be the hero. I know some will choose a colour, a mood. You've talked a bit about how for you it is a memory. How do you go about briefing that into a perfumer? The first thing I do is to work on the fragrance mapping for the collection because yeah. I want to ensure there's no overlapping between two perfumes. Sure. And every time, the idea is that every time you discover a new perfume in the collection, you would leave a new adventure mm -hmm. or a new surprise. Um, so I choose an ingredient as a as a as a key direction, and then I will think back. I, I will think of 
memories I had when I encountered this ingredient in a surprising way. Yeah. I will write down on paper. Everything is in my mind because it's a memory. So I will write down on paper or in an email or I would call, you know, the perfumers. Mm. But the idea is that I, I kind of, yeah, let's say I put it into paper, like all the sensory, all the sensations I lived, mm-hmm. colors, textures, sounds, elements of taste, people I met, the whole ambience. And then I would brief the perfumers by just simply telling them that story. Yeah. Uh, there are ingredients that we will use directly into the perfume formula. For example, um, hibiscus mahajad is inspired mm-hmm. by a tasting of hibiscus tea. Okay, we see. did use um, umbred seeds, which are the seeds of kind of a variety of hibiscus. We used rose, we also used vanilla. But then we wanted to express the ambience of that moment. It was in a market yeah. uh, in the afternoon with a beautiful sunset coming, with warmth and sunshine, like sun, sun rays reflecting through glass windows and illuminating some precious tones. So then we used other ingredients to express that. We used mint, for example, to express the brightness of the sun, we used black currant to express the ruby stones. So we also used those perfume ingredients to bring back sensations, like to, to bring that moment back to life, but also to express those sensations. I often give this example. For example, if you think of a music, a cello would mm. be central and deep and dark. Perhaps we could use vanilla to express that because the perfume ingredient can be described as sensuous, voluptuous, dark yeah. and deep. Um, a flute or a triangle is totally different energy. It's a different sound. Yeah. So we need a much more luminous and vibrant ingredient, which could be a citrus, which could be a fresh spice. But so we can play with all the ingredients to work on all those uh, facets. And this is where we have a meeting point with the perfumers because I can understand, I've also trained myself to understand how certain ingredients, w- I mean, how which kind of sensation can be brought by some perfume ingredients. But then on the other side, the perfumers know how to formulate, blend all of this into a perfect formula. So, and we have a common language, which is about the sensory facets of the ingredients, Mm. not the technical facets. I'm speechless, which is so rare for me. It's just so interesting (laughs) hearing that it's, I mean, you're really creating a whole scene it's like you're storyboarding the fragrance Mm -hmm. and not it's not just the tea like okay i had this hibiscus tea let's create a fragrance that elicits that it's the whole moment and where you were seated and what the light was that oh in a way when you smell the perfume you're at the same time you're you're looking at a movie listening to a concert eating fine uh you know fine food and uh, I mean, yes, and uh, wearing couture. All, all of yeah. it is, is, br- is brought together. I've just never heard someone talk about fragrance in that way where it is every, it, sort of every single sense is being touched on, not just scent. Unbelievable. You did mention earlier that it's a saturated market. We, we can't deny this. How did you go about cutting through the noise in terms of the launch? Were people immediately receptive? How did you get people on board with what you were doing? We, I think the key element for us was to start from the element of surprise. Yeah. So the beginning when customers would discover our creations, they would be, they would be surprised. Some of them would be puzzled because they also had to understand 
the identity of the brand. So it took a bit sure. of time for people to understand our creative direction. I must say that. But after some time, people, you know, after also hearing me, meeting me in the yeah. stores, um, people started to understand more and more and to appreciate the beauty of what we're doing. And uh, there's one important moment. It's a milestone in the in the creation of the brand. It's the, the launch of our extract collection. Mm -hmm. I think people, f especially niche lovers, niche perfume lovers, found in those perfumes the level of sillage, like projection. I don't like the word performance, but like our creations in that collection are yeah. extremely long lasting. They diffuse for hours and hours and they are compliment givers and head turners. So I gave the example of Hibiscus Mahajad. We also have Oud Maracuja, mm -hmm. which is an Oud based perfume twisted with passion fruit. Mm. This is inspired by a story of uh, um, discovering a remote Oud forests um, in the middle of the jungle, and I tasted the passion fruit that day. So we brought the, the two ingredients together. Mm. And what is beautiful is that wood lovers smell this perfume and tell me they've never smelled a perfume like this before. But also, people who had never used oud before, at least classic oud, would love this one. Mm. So I think our offer today is very international, yeah, very approachable for um, modern-day perfume explorers. But the, the whole idea is also to yeah to leave the comfort zone and to discover for kinds of perfumes you never experienced before, and if you've always hated rose, perhaps you could love ours because it's salty, it's unique, yeah. it's just totally different from the classic. But this starts from the initial brief. We brief the perfumers, telling them, let's think of the classic sandalwood, the classic patchouli, the classic uh, jasmine, the classic neroli. Um, I will tell you my moments, my inspiration, my adventure, mm -hmm. but let's ensure that the final creation is just the opposite of what people can expect. So obviously people had to understand that because in the very beginning people would smell, for example, rose saltifolia, which is our salty rose perfume, and they would tell me, oh, but it's not a rose. And I would reply, yes, it is, but it's just such a different one. Yeah. And learn to appreciate that, and people do. And it starts with my twin sister. She had never used rose before, and mm -hmm. she loves it. I think it's a beautiful, yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful fact. On niche perfumes... I feel as though in the last few years we've seen more and more people gravitating towards fragrances from niche perfume houses. This might be a difficult question to answer objectively, but why do you think that is? Why do you think we are seeing a rise in the prominence of the niche fragrance? I think it goes maybe with, I wouldn't say psychology, but I think what applies to perfume, niche perfume also applies with other categories. I think we're at a stage of the world or maybe our lives when we need a purpose. Yeah. Um, there's so many things going on that we need maybe to shop a bit less, but of higher quality um, with a higher purpose. Also connecting emotionally with the founders mm. of the brands and the teams behind. and Because I think it's also human nature, human nature is about people. Yeah. Um, in the past, we had that connection with brands because we would shop locally. You know, you would buy your bread, you would go to the restaurant, you would buy anything, the food and so on. You would know who's selling it. Mm. But as the, the markets, <coughs> as the markets or as the brands, I mean, as the markets grow and as the brands go global, 
somehow people lose that connection with the yeah. teams behind. And uh, so the, today there's different way of there's different ways of of communicating. But for instance, some brands are very strong on social media also because the founders really embody the brand yes. and share a lot of elements. I think we need that personal connection. Mm. And a lot of people would find in niche brands such a purpose and such also a personal approach to creation, mm -hmm. which makes a, a big difference. So I think it explains why there's more of a, an emotional connection with those brands, and so. And obviously, there's more craftsmanship. There's yeah. a higher quality involved. Mm. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some commercial brands who release absolute gems in the market. Yes, um, it's a fact, and and I could give you a lot of examples. But at the same time, yes, maybe those big, big, big brands kind of lost yeah. some of the spontaneous connection with the customers. I would agree with that. To I guess circle back momentarily. I would like to hone in on the packaging because I think there's, this is pretty special. The glass bottles are produced in France and Spain. The boxes and cases are designed with FSC paper, no plastics. Even the cellophane that you use is produced with a biodegradable and compostable wood cellulose. I had to read all that so I get all the details right. I imagine being really steadfast in wanting to produce things sustainably probably made the launch process that little bit more difficult, timely, it's expensive. That's why so few brands are doing it. Was that something that was always important to you or was that something that became important to you as you started working more and looking more into it? It's always been important to me um, and we do as best as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, it's quite a complex topic because yeah. obviously to make things change, uh, we also need a certain power. Yeah. And I think today we could work on new packaging solutions, but we also need the suppliers to be able to provide those solutions. We need yeah. the volume to you know get them on board and committed to work on that. So I think things will change faster yeah, there's definitely a bit of a political agenda behind yeah. with like decisions forcing suppliers like you know the the, the suppliers yeah of, of mm. like packaging solutions to, to work on things or if it comes from big brands which have also a, a bigger leverage yeah just because you know of the volume they are they are producing um so we've tried to work on packaging this way with also a timeless design because the perfumes have such a contrast and, and mm. such originality that I wanted to counterbalance with a, an external packaging design, which is, I wouldn't say neutral, but at least it's reassuring. Yeah. So then overall, you feel you have just the right balance mm. with the perfume you're buying. And what we chose to do, though, one important factor is that we have put aside any artificial color in the formula. Yes. And we're also giving back some money to, to a charity. And this Amazing. charity is... An you know, there's a purpose behind it. So this charity is um, supporting a sustainable production of perfume ingredients in different countries. Yeah. We started the project with patchouli in Indonesia. I had the chance to go there, meet the farmers, and then I decided to start this partnership. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just a marketing, like a communication campaign. There's a purpose behind because I met with those people. Mm. So we started with patchouli. We might continue in the future 
with other ingredients. We are working on it. And hopefully one day we would even be able to use those ingredients in our perfume formulas, amazing. which would be amazing. So um, this is a bit of a teasing because I'm working on it right yeah, now. Yeah, okay. But the, yes, I mean, you know, we do what we can. Mm. I think um, at least there's an intention and uh, we can always do better. I would not, you know, tell you the opposite. We can always do better. But I think it's just a matter of getting things started and, mm. and understanding the importance of sustainability. There's, there's so much to unpack around sustainable practices when it comes to raw materials. I think there's a lot of nuance there because there's, yes, it's one thing to be using raw materials over synthetics, but then if those raw materials aren't being sourced in a way that is relatively sustainable, then you kind of find yourself back at square one. So yes. I think that's... Yeah, I always give this example. Uh, I do a comparison with food. Yeah. Um, if tomorrow the whole planet starts to eat organic food mm -hmm. and, you know, there's not even enough space and water to produce it. So it's a very complex question. Um, we're trying to use... I mean, whenever natural ingredients exist, we would use them. Mm. And in our extract collection, we use a very high quality of ingredients. Um, because depending on, you know, the, the origin of the ingredient, the extraction process, quality can vary. Yes, but of course. It's quite basic, but same applies with tomatoes. Yeah. Same applies, you know, it's, uh, you take a, a fruit, um, you know, depending on where you buy it, just the quality varies. It's the same with perfume. It comes mm. from the land. Um, we do use some synthetic notes when the ingredients do not exist yeah. or when they are uh, endangered. Um, yeah, that's because, I mean, endangered in a way that, uh, you know, we don't have enough land yeah. to, to produce them in a, in a good way. Um, and also those notes help us to give the perf perfumes the performance that a lot of people expect. So mm. it's also quite a complex topic. I think here for us, the, in the intention is to use natural ingredients. When they exist at a very high quality, we also use occasionally um, some uh, molecules, but in a way which is good for the final uh, creative mm. uh, you know, uh, output. Yeah. The brand is available in, I think it's 40 countries now, including here in Australia in Mecca. Have you noticed any trends as far as scents that perhaps do really well in one region and not so well in another, some that have been a surprise runaway hit somewhere? Have there been any trends or any things that have really surprised you? We, so as we develop the brand, I think I have now an intuition of which kind of perfume will work. Yeah. Um, I was stunned at the level of performance we had with the Hibiscus Mahajat when we launched it. Mm -hmm. It's been a worldwide success. Um, it has performed extremely well in some markets. Yeah. Where actually it even ranks number one on wow. top of absolute bestsellers from big, big brands of the niche sector. Um, not yet everywhere, but we're working on it. Um, with Maracuja as well, is having a viral trend right now. Yeah. Uh, we have more than 5 million views on the hashtag on TikTok wow. in five months, which is pretty incredible. The fragrance community on TikTok is it's something huge, else, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yes, I'm, I'm surprised at this mm. pace. You know, obviously, I expected the perfume to be successful, but to yeah. hear so many positive reviews in such a short period of time and with feedback from people, 
quoting it as maybe one of the best launches of 2023 in a matter of a few weeks. This feels really good. Uh, And I think it's deserved because the the perfume is Mm. an absolute masterpiece. Um, So yes, this surprises me. And I'm also very optimistic for our next launches. Meanwhile, you know, we, we worked on a new pro- project for about two years. We ah. launched it in the market and we know in two days if it will be a success or wow. not. The feedback from the market is immediate. Wow. Obviously, some trends can go viral. You know, some perfumes can have performances which increase. If yeah. S- someday, for example, a celebrity quotes it just because the perfume gains more awareness. Mm. But what, when you are in the store, you launch a new perfume, you know, in two days if people's wow. feedback is positive or not two days it's very short goodness i mean this might be like choosing a favorite child for a founder but do you have a favorite scent uh, i use oud maracuja a lot yeah i also layer it with some eau de parfum on top santal volcanic which is an amazing uh, combination uh Boadacha as well which is um chai tea combined with berries so those fruity woody combinations work very well together. Mm. Um, I use Hibiscus Mahajad. I use a lot our upcoming launch and I also need to, you know, to experience the the current, uh, cr- like, the, you know, the new perfumes to, to be launched so because I'm working already on the novelties for 2026. So mm. wow. it's, uh, yes, we, we need to, it's a lot of time to, to develop a perfume yeah. and we need to anticipate everything. Mm. You, I mean, I was going to say that you've been working in the beauty industry for close to two decades, but you've obviously been surrounded by beauty your entire life. Over the last few years, what would you say are some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? That can be beauty broadly or fragrance specifically. In fragrance, I would say there's really a trend towards more intensity. Yeah. As if it's never enough. Yeah. And long la- long lastingness. Um, and sometimes perfumes can be quite overwhelming. Yeah. I'm happy whenever, and we hear it a lot, whenever we hear that our perfumes are not overwhelming, they are very well blended. We can discover a lot of them in the collection. And, you know, we still appreciate it's not as if the perfumes are just too strong or too heavy or too much of something mm. uh, and i think balance is also elegance somehow yes. um makeup i can't comment much <laughs> sure um <laughs> and in skincare there's definitely i don't know maybe i'm following that trend and and i think in in australia you've you've been ahead but it's more about hydrating SPF protecting your skin yeah. from the sun. When you said in Australia, I'm like, this is going to be about SPF because yes. I managed to wave it into every single episode. So thank you very much. <laughs> you helped me out there. Um, and also, maybe take time for yourself. Yeah. Overall, yeah. Which is somehow beauty is also about how you, you know, how you live. Yeah. Um, protect yourself from toxic people. Mm-hmm. Um, Drink water, yeah. Uh, eat healthy, get do some s- sleep. Do sport, get some sleep, mm. which I should do more because <laughs> I travel <laughs> a lot. Um, and also, it's also about how what you bring to your body, not yeah. externally but internally. I think there's definitely trends towards mm. more healthy food habits, which is very important. Definitely. 
any changes that you think we can expect to see from the fragrance industry over the coming few years? Uh, technology. Yeah. Um, so I see technology as becoming a tool to analyze perfume, sadly copy perfume sometimes, um, find ideas as well. Perfumers develop new technologies to help them to mm -hmm. work on some formulas, though obviously they keep their creative direction. Um, new retail tools to, to yeah. discover perfumes in the stores. Um, I don't know what AI would bring us. I'm a bit scared at that, but yep. somehow, you know, it will come, mm -hmm. but I don't know how. I just hope it will not kill the creative. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if tomorrow some, you know, chat GPTs or whatever, just... That's how I feel about it from a writing tell perspective you, like, as well. Yeah, like perfume formulas in two seconds, I think it could kill creativity. So Agreed. Uh, we have to protect that. Mm. My final question, what is next for Maison Crivelli? Um, surprise, all the time. Mm -hmm. Love it. That was Thibaut Crivelli, founder of Maison Crivelli, which you can find on Instagram at Maison Crivelli. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemdiamond or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Diamond. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to Elders past and present.